You're listening to Queer Travel Chat by Too Bad Tourists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Queer Travel Chat. My name is Austin. I am one of your hosts from Too Bad Tourists. And as always, I am joined by David, who happens to be in a different location uh, this week. Yeah, we're joined digitally, but not in the same place as usual. Exactly. So I'm feeling a tad under the weather, uh, so we figured it would just be better to do it separately, although I'm feeling good enough to record the podcast, which is great. So I'm going to turn it over to David to introduce our guest speaker. Well, it's funny, though, is like you're like 10 minutes walking from where I am, but <laughs> I'm not trying to get sick this week. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so anyway, today we're going to be joined uh, by Billy Colbert. He's a serial entrepreneur and the founder of the former gay and lesbian travel magazine, Out and About, and the founder of the online publication, Man About World. He'll share his travel, uh, LGBT travel expertise with us and discuss his newer venture, Hospitable Me, which offers DEI training to the hospitality industry. So we're really lucky to have him with us here today. Yes, and before we get started into the episode, uh, I just want to say a quick word about our gay sailing trip to Croatia. So if you've been listening to our show, you know that we do uh, a couple of hosted trips, a few hosted trips this year, actually, and one starts next week, in fact, to to Barcelona. But in August, on the 25th, we still have a few spots available. Um, We'll be sailing along the coast of Croatia. It's one of our favorite trips of the year. It's awesome. So if you want to join us, uh, we still have some spots. Please visit TooBadTourist.com to learn more about the trip. Man, in like 10 days, we'll be on a beach in Barcelona, right? Yes, we will. I'm super excited. And in six so weeks, we'll be in Greece, gay sailing. I feel like it, it's going to, that trip kicks off the, the summer of travel, you know, like it's actually the first love of It all does. We've, we've been talking about it for months and it's actually happening. I know. We have, we I'm have so uh, well, if you uh, like our show, please remember to uh, subscribe to it on Colin. Give the episode a like with a heart icon once it's published. And you can always follow us on social media. We're at Too Bad Tourists. And feel free to leave us a comment about what you want to hear more of on the episodes when they're published. All right. So um, let's just get straight down to it. Uh, let's invite Billy on to, to join us. Um, Welcome to the show. Out. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking to you guys today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, same, same to you, Billy. We, David and I were chatting before the episode, and and I was just trying to figure out like how long we've actually known each other. And I think I, I'm going to see if if this is the same story you have, but I think we got connected in maybe 2013, early 2014, um, online first. And I think it was your your uh, former colleague uh, Ed Salvato who connected us. Does that sound right to you? I can't remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> All right, I well, will, let's, let's, I will go let's with go your with story. story. It sounds right. I think, you know, when we launched, when we launched Man About World, we built a network of, of correspondents and contributors. And I think that's when we first connected, which exactly that kind of sounds right. And I think, I think that's how that went down. And I think uh, Ed had mentioned that the IGLTA, the International LGBTQ Plus Travel Association Convention, that's a really big mouthful, uh, was happening in Madrid that year in 2014. And of course, we lived in Madrid. So so actually, thanks to you guys, you actually connected us with IGLTA. And, you know, however many years later, I actually work for IGLTA. So so thanks for that. Awesome. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> he got you the job. Yeah. And then I think, David, you... Well, I guess you probably met Billy. We probably met the. It was in Madrid, yeah. I mean, I don't specifically remember, but I know that I was at the events, so we probably remember was maybe in two thousand. 
15? I know. I, I think we probably actually all met. There was a preferred hotels did a reception on the night of one of the semifinals for Eurovision. Eurovision, right? Only you hotel. And we were all drinking cocktails. Yeah. As fast as they could make them, which wasn't very fast. <laughs> that sounds like me. So that, that, that <laughs> does sound right. Cocktails in Eurovision <laughs> and drinking them fast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then I think later, uh, maybe the following year or two years later, we happened to be on a, on a press trip, the three of us and some other folks to Dresden, I think, um, in Germany. Yeah. That was a great trip. So we had a good, we had a, a fantastic trip. trip. Yeah. Well, My so- favorite. My favorite press trip photo ever was us on that trip from the, um, oh, what was it? Zaxxon, Switzerland, that park we went to where it was raining when we left. And we trudged up to the top of this big park and then the sun came out. And it was this gorgeous valley and mountains. And Are we in that photo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I do remember it was a beautiful, it's called like Saxon, Switzerland, but it's in I don't remember. Exactly. But no, it was a beautiful park. It was a beautiful park nonetheless. Well, Billy, uh, let's get down to you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your background, what you're doing now? You do a lot of things. You're a busy man. Yeah. So um, I am currently in New York, where I was born, Manhattan, um, though I now live in Frankfurt with my husband. I got started in travel at a really young age. I mean, when I was nine, I was hanging out in the travel agency in my little suburban town, reading the Pan Am timetables and dreaming of all of these exotic places like Paramaribo, Suriname, um, which at the time was at the top of my list. I still haven't gotten there, but I will (laughs) one of these days. Okay. Um, And then I, uh, I, was a tour manager, business manager of my college singing group, which went on around the world tour um, so long ago that it was before fax. We actually had to commu- communicate with our global hosts by a thing called telex. Um, and telex machines were really rare. The American Express office in New Haven was one of the few places that had one. So they let us use their telex in exchange for uh, being our travel agent. And I learned so much about the round the world uh, routing rules that they offered me a job and I was planning to go into the movie business. I had a job offer there, but decided I wanted to do something for a year to support myself while I write it, while I wrote screenplays, because I thought that would be the best entry for me into actually making movies Um, and found myself working at an American Express travel agency and uh, really traveling a lot. And that was like it for me. I, uh, so I ran the agency for about five years and then founded Out and About with a partner from American Express. At the time, there were no other um, – there weren't really any great, great gay travel resources. There were there was the Damron Guide and the Spartacus Guide, uh, but those were all advertising-driven. Mm-hmm. And for people who wanted more information were really more interested in travel than sex, there was a big hole in the – Marketplace, And so we launched out and about in 1992, um, super successful. It was the first time uh, Travel and Leisure and Condé Nast Traveler had the word gay in their magazine when they mm-hmm. wrote about us. Um, wow. And we did all kinds of coverage. You know, at that time, it was still, you know, we would read about this cute little B&B in Vieques or in New Hampshire. And you had no idea who owned it and whether it was a place that two gay men could go to. And so 
we researched, we found a lot of places like that that other places had recommended, mainstream travel magazines had recommended, and we would just call them up and we would say, do you have any experience with gay and lesbian travelers and would you describe your place as welcoming and friendly for them? And those were some of the most interesting conversations. Um, sometimes we get the, yeah, my husband and I are gay, we own the place, we have lots of gay travelers. Sometimes we would get the, well, we've never had any gay people here, but I guess they would be welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people would hang up on us. Right. Um, well, that's a good indication of not friendly. Yeah. yeah. So that was, you know, there were the people who say we're gay. We knew, okay, this place is definitely okay. There were the people who hung up on us. We were like, this place is a no go. And then there were those people who said we've never met any gay, we've never had any gay people, but I guess it would be fine, which was like <laughs> cautionary. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we were the first people to rate gay guest houses. We had legal threats and death threats um, because they'd all advertised in the Damron Guide. Nobody had ever said this place is a dump before. Um, oh and we God. went in and did that. Um, we we rated guest houses by quality and sexual temperature. We created this sort of grid of places that were, you know, sort of very sexual to places that were not and places that were really luxurious to places that weren't. Um, so it was an exciting time. You know, it was the nineties. Um, Ellen had just come out on TV out magazine had just come out mm-hmm. and, uh, what was then thought of as gay travel and then gay and lesbian travel, um, was really just sort of gaining the attention of the mainstream. So we broke up down a lot of barriers. We started a lot of conversations. Um, it was a really exciting time to be, to be doing something. And then we sold the business at the height of the dot-com bubble to plan it out, um, which became the first, um, the first uh, publicly traded LGBTQ company on the NASDAQ. Uh, but when I said the height of the dot-com bubble, we literally closed our deal three days before the NASDAQ crashed. Wow. And so wow. Um, we were expecting to build the company, and instead, we spent three years just trying to monetize our existing content. Hmm. Um, so it was a troubling, it was a difficult time. Um, but we, uh, it was still an exciting place to be. And then I did a couple of other things. I was the number one Avon lady in Manhattan for five years, <laughs> south of 96th Street. Um, I won a couple of pie contests. I wrote a few spec screenplays. Um, I had a consumer travel experience consulting company. We did some work for W hotels and Andre Bellas. Um, and then in 2012, we launched man about world, which was kind of a modern version of out and about. <clears throat> and we were one of the first uh, magazines of any kind built exclusively for mobile. Um, and at the time it seemed like that was where the future was going to be. Apple, so we were technically built as an app and Apple named us as one of the like new and noteworthy apps of the month we came out. And that gave us a huge burst of subscribers. Um, but it became clear after about five years that magazines were not morphing into apps. Hmm. Um, and so our business started pivoting into uh, strategy and training, which is really where we are now. Um, we actually just officially stopped publishing Man About World, the app, uh, this month. And we're looking at, you know, we still have a lot of great information that has never been indexed by Google because it was all locked within the app. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So at some point this year, this summer, we're going to start putting that information back on the web. Yeah, I hope you do. But, you know, I don't, there's no real, you know, just to sort of see what's, see what happens and to, you know, to release it to the world, the stuff that was worthwhile. Uh, we're not going to, I don't think we'll have any grand plans to try and monetize that as you all and everybody else in the content space knows it's a hard, hard place to be. Yeah. Uh, right. And the work we're doing now at Hospitable Me is the most interesting and rewarding and challenging work I've ever done. It's just every day is a new, new learning for us about um, the queer community. And I think beyond queer community, we're now working on a project of a training project with 15 different identities um, of which gender and sexual orientation are just two. Um, And, you know, I think we're at a moment where queer travel has been, you know, has really become very mainstream and there are lots of mainstream organizations that are going after queer travelers. Um, But very few who are really comfortable and competent beyond affluent gay white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we saw that really early on, you know, as the language changed, everybody was gay friendly and then they became gay and lesbian friendly and then LGBT friendly and now LGBTQ plus friendly. Right. Um, but they don't even know what the T and the Q are, let alone all of the identities of the plus. And so right. We started training. Our very first client, training client, was Uniworld Boutique River Cruises. And I had met the CEO and the family. It's a family-owned company, part of the Travel Corporation. Um, I met him, and we'd been talking about it. He said, you know, I think we have a real opportunity with Uniworld for gay and lesbian customers. We'd like to work with you to help build that marketing angle and advertise with you. So they were a Man About World advertiser, one of the few we ever had. And we recommended that they do sensitivity training, not because they had problems, but because we felt it would be a really good uh, PR opportunity for them. And it was as soon as they did it, um, our family vacations heard about it and started booking full ship charters with it. Fantastic. Uh, But for us, it was life changing because we realized that their team and they had people from 26 different countries. And we trained from the CEO down to the room attendants, about 550 people. They'd never had a professional conversation about who queer people were. And yet they'd had clients and they had questions, Um, some of them as basic as, you know, we don't really have gay people in my country, but we've had I've had gay couples on our cruise. So if two men are married, how do I know which is the Mr. And which is the Mrs. Oh, wow. Oh my God. Which, because they've always been trained. If you have a married couple, you always address them as Mr. And Mrs. Wow. So how do I know? know, (laughs) And then another one had said, so we had these, I had these four gentlemen and I went to hand one of them, the, the, menu and he said no 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 ladies first like what did he mean (laughs) so you know a lot to unpack but not that complicated ultimately and they were so they were so eager for the information and the way that it would enable them to do their job better 
because they weren't engaging because they were afraid that they were going to yeah. say the wrong thing or make a mistake or they didn't understand. And in 90 minutes of training, we turned that around for them. And in fact, we stayed through the rest of their training week. In the last two days of training, each department puts on a skit to demonstrate to the other people, other people working on the ship, what it is their department does. And three of the departments had gay or lesbian um, clients in their skits. So they'd obviously internalized this information. They were ready to act on it. And we realized this is what we need to do. And we just sort of inverted our business and started building this curriculum. And that is the bulk of what we do now. We go around the world training destinations and brands and people who work on cruise ships and in hotels and uh, attractions, um, who queer people are, how we have been traditionally excluded or disparaged, often unintentionally when we travel, and the things that you can do to be more welcoming and inclusive. It's so, an amazing job. Yeah, I, I feel like I was thinking back to your answer, or you were telling us about out and about, and in the 90s, you would call, you know, you would call up the guest houses. And, you know, some people would say, yeah, sure, we're gay friendly. But it's like, it's interesting, because 30 years later, we've gotten to a point where people say, sure, we're gay friendly or LGBT friendly, but like, what, what does that mean? Right? Because there's a difference between tolerance and acceptance to, to everything that you're trying to promote, which is actually going beyond and making everyone feel equally welcome as, you know, their straight counterparts. So I, I, yeah. I, I think it's cool that, you know, in the U S North America and parts of Europe, we're at that point where, where we actually can, you know, we, we can take it to the next level and, and people like you are doing that. And that's, that's really yeah. awesome. What would you say like for hospitable me, like what, what's your core mission? So we have a very simple mission, which is simply to make the world a more hospitable place. We really feel that the most important things on this planet, when you think about like peace, love, understanding, all of those things start with a simple act of hospitality. Mm -hmm. And those simple acts of hospitality are so powerful. We have, I have a very conflicted perspective on our industry, on the tourism and travel industry. I think it, you know, I have seen personally the destruction of climate and culture that tourism can bring. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like it's maybe the only thing that will save us because it is only by meeting people who are different from us and live differently and having those authentic interpersonal engagements that we understand that we are one human family who are very, very different, but also very, very much the same. And when you look at the challenges that this world faces, that we as a species face on this planet, um, they're all they're all problems that are going to require global cooperation to solve. And global cooperation only happens when we know each other personally. Mm -hmm. So we really feel that hospitality, that the act of welcoming strangers and sharing of ourselves and of our cultures in a, in a reciprocal way is the most, one of the most important things um, any of us can do. And so we think of ourselves as empowering those engagements. We empower those engagements by making people, helping people understand the ways that we are different and the ways that we can be more welcoming and inclusive to 
people who are different from us in, as I said now, many, many different ways. Well, I'm also curious, like, what are some of the more specific challenges that Hospital Me is helping companies overcome? Like, what sort of problems you're helping them solve? Because you touched on a little bit about maybe just the basic understanding of the queer community, but are there other examples? So, I mean, the main issue that we talk to clients about right now is gender diversity. Okay. Um, you know, this idea of non-binary gender we, we talk about gender, not even on a spectrum, but on a matrix. We say, you know, we sort of look at gender identity, gender presentation, and biological gender, each as a spectrum. So you have three different spectrums. And when you, when you look at gender that way, you see that there are just an infinite possibility of understanding somebody's gender, that people, it's very personal, it's very specific, um, you know, we see this increase of alphabet soup of LGBTQQIAA2SNBGNCPP. Yes. Plus, you know, not to mention all of the, I mean, asexual has I six or seven different varieties of itself. So you realize that people experience gender and sexuality really, really differently. And so helping people understand that and then understanding how being inclusive of everyone, how removing gendered language from our our interactions, how creating gender inclusive restrooms is ultimately good for everyone. I think one of the things certainly that um, the turf community gets wrong about about gender diversity is that when you start acknowledging non-binary gender, you have to start talking about the ways that we treat men and women differently. Because if this person is not a man or a woman, well, do we treat them the way we treat a man or do we treat them the way we treat a woman? Well, that begs the question of, well, why are we treating men and women differently right. exactly. in this instance? And I think it reinforces this conversation that we are still treating women differently. We're paying them less. They have fewer opportunities. They are discriminated against in many, many different ways. They are judged and held to different standards around dress and speech. And when we start talking about gender inclusivity, it's not just about people who identify as non-binary. It's about welcoming all genders, including men and women, in ways that are more equal and more more accommodating of everyone. So that's really in LGBTQ. That's really the discussion that we are that we are having with clients. And you know, it's still we have a we've been working with the W Costa Navarino uh, in Greece. Uh, the folks at Temis are incredibly thoughtful. They're the development company. They have two hotels already. The W Costa Navarino will be their third. Part of the building was already built before we started working with them. So there were some things that physically couldn't be changed about the restrooms. Um, but even with, with, with restrooms that are gendered, there are ways to, there are signage things that you can do and ways that you talk about those restrooms that make them more inclusive for everyone. But these are, these are, these are emerging, um, Practices. They're not even established best practices. As we were talking about um, the labeling of restrooms, you know, the 
there's a trend that's happening to labeling restrooms by the furniture, not by who uses them. So you show an image of a, uni- a urinal and a sink and a baby changing table. Like uh, this is what's in the room. If you're changing a baby, this is the right, right. place for you. If you need to use a urinal, this is a right place for you. Um, but, you know, W Hotels, the most, you know, probably the, the most engaged in the LGBTQ community, they haven't even started thinking about bathroom labeling yet. So it's a it's a it's a really new area. And, you know, some of the stuff we're, we're talking about and doing today, I think, will shape hospitality for years to come. And some of it may die off in two or three years in the same way that, you know, in 19 in, tw- in 2012, it looked like app based magazines were going to be the thing. And four <laughs> years later, totally not the thing. But I think we all have so much to learn about being more inclusive and ways that we can be more inclusive. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that dates back to the Victorian era. And it was literally used to create and enforce a difference between royal people and the people serving them. You know, it was ladies and gentlemen of the court, the royal court. So why are we still saying it? <laughs> and it's just saying good morning, everyone, with yeah. a smile and enthusiasm in your voice like that's so much more powerful than you know ladies and gentlemen is sort of this like it's like an indicator of being respectful it's like it's this throwaway thing that we tag on to say oh we're being respectful of you without getting back to the core of hospitality which is we want to make you feel welcome here this morning we're glad to have you here like Mm -hmm. say that don't say ladies and gentlemen (laughs) that's true Billy, we were before we got connected on the app. We we did a quick Google video meeting, and I commented to you. I saw the video equipment behind you, and you mentioned it was for preparing um, online courses. So you talked a little bit about the in person stuff, but tell us a little bit about the the online work you guys are doing, and and what uh, folks from the industry, uh, not ladies and gentlemen from the industry, <laughs> folks from the industry can actually um, you know get get some support yeah. from you. So uh, we have two big online training programs right now. So at everyonewelcome.com, we have our core Everyone Welcome training. So it's sort of an LGBTQ masterclass. Um, and that is, uh, it's about, I think it's probably about four hours of videos and quizzes. Um, it's it's our core education of this is who LGBTQ people are. Uh, it includes a fair amount of marketing information. So this is why we're a coveted market. These are the ways, authentic ways to reach us. Um, so really gears kind of like for business leaders. If you're the general manager of a hotel or you own a tour company and you want to learn a little bit more about what this is all about. Um, it's a great like introduction to the industry. You don't have to go to a conference or you can do it, you know, right online. So that's everyonewelcome.com. Um, we have a version of that that we actually created for Out Adventures, the tour company. They're requiring all of their tour leaders to go through our training. And so we created a version of that specific for, for tour leaders, um, which has been a really great partnership and one we're super proud of. We also have a partnership with Booking.com. So we created the Proud Hospitality Training and Certification Program for Booking.com. We started during the pandemic. We've trained over 9,000 hotels around the world. 
um, with that training. Um, And that training is available to any hotel that is on the booking.com platform. Uh, It's currently available in English and English with French subtitles. But the reason you see the video set up behind me is that we will be uh, launching this summer uh, native French, Spanish and German training with uh, Proud Hospitality uh, for booking. Cool. Uh, awesome. Congratulations uh, on getting training out to, to that many travel businesses. That's awesome. They've, you know, booking has been a great partner. There are other um, booking engines that have done stuff in the LGBTQ market. I mean, obviously orbits uh, last summer decided they wanted to be the booking engine for LGBTQ. Um, they have, they work on a, on a, they don't provide training, but they have sort of a, a, a agreement based certification where you agree to be queer friendly. Um, But booking really booking did some research and found that 30% of LGBTQ travelers fear judgment when they check into a hotel. Hmm. And that's not just in, you know, the 70 countries where, where it's criminalized. That's also in New York and London, because we've all had those experiences where you get to the check-in desk and the person at the desk you know, doesn't know who you are, doesn't like who you are, you know, is having a, you know, had a bad day and, you know, <laughs> and, and doesn't welcome queer people in right. a respectful way. And automatically uh, or, or, two single beds instead yeah, of Yeah, or just doesn't right. know how to. Yeah, they just yeah. don't right. know. <clears throat> so booking decided they wanted to do something about the problem. And so training is what you do to solve that problem. And um, we we do two trainings a week currently. We have for the last like year and a half. And uh, it's been really exciting. You know, all of our trainings, no matter what the format, we always get feedback. You know, you have 20 or 30 people in a class and somebody will come up afterwards or send us an email and say, you know, I had a niece who is now my nephew and I really didn't understand and I wasn't able to. You know, I didn't know. And your training just was so much so helpful to me in my own family. There was a woman who whose daughter was transitioning and hadn't spoken to them in six months. And she said, you know, your training gave me the words like I now feel like I had the, the words to write her them a letter. Mm-hmm. So it's incredibly amazing like empowering when i say like every day is just such an exciting time to be doing this um you know it's nine thousand hotels is a drop in the bucket but it's still nine thousand more hotels it's not nothing people behind the desk who you know now understand a little bit more about who queer people are um so those are our online platforms and then we do a lot of custom um training for different organizations. We've been active in the retail space. We've been doing some work for Bottega Veneta and um, Alexander McQueen and Caring USA, the holding company. Um, We're moving into the restaurant service space. We did something for the Ohio Restaurant Association uh, last year, and we're building on that. Um, And as as I said, we have a new curriculum coming out this year uh, that looks at the similarities around welcoming 15 different uh, kinds of people. 
So I, I, are your trainings mostly open to, you know, really any type of, of company? I mean, are you focusing on, on hospitality, but really any company that's willing to, to do the training it's open to? Or So, um, so yeah. So the Everyone Welcome live, the Everyone Welcome recorded training, anyone can go online and purchase that training. Um, okay. You know, our... One of the things I think that's really different about us from most people who do DEI training is that we're not focused on workforce issues, on the things that happen in the workplace. We're focused on the on the engagement between you and your customers. Got it. And so, <coughs> you know, when you think about hospitality, there are lots of businesses that consider their customers guests. I mean, Target considers their customers guests. They call mm-hmm. their customers guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of how we pivoted into retail. The, you know, what we, in tourism, our examples, you know, of this is what happens to queer people when they travel are all tourism-based. In retail, our examples, you know, we're telling the same stories, but these are the things that happen when we're in a retail space, when we go shopping. They're a little bit different than what happens in a hotel. Um, likewise, in a restaurant, a little bit different. Um, so the examples changed, but the core, the core education is the same. So if you were, you know, we don't have a retail version of our online training, but if you had a store and you wanted to learn these things, you could take the tourism edition training and get all of the knowledge. You just have to sort of extrapolate from the examples. Well, it sounds like you have a lot going on with Hospitable Me, but I'm curious, uh, what's next? What do you, do you have other pl- future plans that you want to accomplish? So this transition into what we call the seven secrets of inclusive hospitality is really what's next for us. We, about three years ago, we had finished some training in Thailand and we started a conversation. We were saying, you know, we call our course Everyone Welcome, but we're not talking about everyone. We're talking about queer people. What would it be like to talk about everyone? Hmm. And we started interviewing people of 10, then 10 different identities, now 15. What is it like for you to travel as a as a deaf person, as a short person, as a fat person, as a Muslim person, as a um, single parent, as a black person, as an Indian person, as a, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different identities as somebody with mobility disorders or vision disorders, um, as a person, as a poor person, somebody, you know, of, of lower socioeconomic status, what are the challenges you face and what are the pain points for you? And what are the things that travel providers could do better to welcome people like you and other people, people like you and your community? The specifics are all very different, but the feelings of exclusion were exactly the same. Yeah. And when we asked them, what would you tell the CEO of Hilton, if you were sitting with them to do differently, those recommendations fell into these very specific categories. Hmm. And from that, we created these principles of inclusive hospitality. So I think what's exciting for us is that, you know, sexual orientation and gender, it's one piece of the puzzle. You know, it's one piece of people's identities. We're all diverse. We all have a gender and a sexual orientation and a relate and a race and a religion and a intellectual background and perspective. And, you know, I was listening to somebody speak. I was at a, the travel unity conference in Georgia and there was a workforce development person who said, you know, we're all going to be disabled eventually. Like at some point, unless you die young, you know, Mm -hmm. 
We right. all face, as you get older, we all face disability of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really like mind opening for me because I, you know, I've never thought about that with my own life, but I, you know, when you think about it, you know, it's coming, you feel, you know, your knees start to go out you, you know, feel your memory start to slip. Um, and so these issues of, of addressing disability, it's not like it's for some small audience. Ultimately it's for all of us. We're all going to get there. Um, and I think that these principles of hospitality, as we've learned what these challenges are and we've seen how training can really impact the delivery of hospitality, uh, we're so excited to be um, to be debuting this new curriculum. So, you know, it's things like honoring personal autonomy. And that may be, you know, not touching a black woman's hair, not touching a pregnant woman's belly, not touching a wheelchair user's mobility device. Like the those specifics are all very different, but the concept behind it of honoring autonomy and personal space, <coughs> asking before touching someone or touching their things, um, recognizing that asking in and of itself is a can be a burden. And why are you asking? Is this something you need to do for your job or is it just curiosity? Like these principles of inclusive hospitality are so I think meaningful and powerful um, that we are really looking forward to that. It sounds like training we could all use for sure. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a learning experience. You know, it's stuff that we've all learned. We weren't, we're not experts in any of these identities. We're barely experts in, you know, being gay men. So, so having, you know, being able to have these conversations and learn and talk to travel providers about, you know, how we can all do better and how we can do better with everyone. You know, ultimately, I think marginalized and historically excluded people more than anything else. We want to know that people have at least thought about us and that and that they want to do the right thing, even if they may not be in a position at the moment to do the right thing. What is the who is the team behind Hospitable Me? Um, so myself, um, uh, my business partner, Kenny Papora, um, who you've known from the man about world days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a team of about 12, um, constantly growing, um, educators and curriculum development partners. Um, so they're on the hospitable me website. When you go to, you know, about us, mm-hmm. you can see, um, some of our team members. Um, you can also see at everyonewelcome.com. You can see a um, you can see the eight of us who are in the Everyone Welcome core training, um, and it's a really diverse group of people across many different um, aspects. We are very different in age, in skin tone, in presentation style. Um, really, really proud of of our team and the people we work with. It's you know it's. One of the things that we started doing um, that hasn't happened enough in our industry is paying people for their knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. it's one thing to go to a person in a wheelchair and say, you know, hey, how can we make hotels more welcoming for you? Um, you know, and I see increasingly, you know, IGLTA has a transgender advisory board. It's an unpaid board. Um, 
And we have stopped asking trans and gender diverse people to provide us intelligence and, and information about their lived experience without compensating them. That's valuable <laughs> information. And, you know, too often marginalized and excluded people are asked to solve their problems for businesses that make money from them, you know, without being compensated. Yeah. Uh, pay them. That's a really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Pay them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so people can go to hospital.me, correct? To find correct. out more and everyonewelcome.com. Correct. Perfect. Well, Billy, I'm super excited to see where you guys go with Hospital Me over the years. I'm sure it's going to be great. And given you are such a, a world traveler, we always like to end the interview with the final question. Where are you traveling to next? Um, so I'm traveling right now. I'm in New York. Um, next, I fly back home to Frankfurt, which isn't that um, exciting. From there to Costa well, I think it's exciting if you don't live in Frankfurt. Yeah. Right. yeah, Frankfurt actually gets a bum rap because, you know, very, it's it's not really marketed as a tourist destination. And it's one of those places, I think, that's better to live in than to visit. But it has some great things to see. I think, you know, for people who are flying through Frankfurt and there are many of them, it's yeah. worth taking, you know, one to three days to see it. Um, then Costa Navarino uh, in Greece to finish our work there. Um and then I have a quick trip to Sitges in Barcelona. I've actually never been to Sitges, if you can believe it. Well, I can't uh, believe it. Blasphemy. I'm going to take away your gay so, card. <laughs> I know. So I'm rectifying that in June. Um, I'm going to Amsterdam to Floriade. You know, there's this, um, there's this flower and horticultural and agricultural uh, festival that happens every 10 years in the Netherlands. And this is the year for Floriade. It runs through October. Um, I'm planning a group of friends going July 9th, I think. So if you guys have a free weekend and want to come up to Amsterdam, join us in Floriade. I would love to go with you on that cruise in August. Unfortunately, I'm at a family vacation that week, but it's another place I've never been. And that has been high on my list. Next year. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe next year. (laughs) Well, Um, Billy, Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and and your story. Um, There's just a ton of history and we really, really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to seeing you guys again soon. I guess I will see you in Milan for IGLTA. Definitely. Exactly. We'll be there. Or maybe Citrus. I'll let you know the weekend. (laughs) I look forward to hearing what you think of it. Yeah. Uh, But thank you again for sharing uh, everything with us. And it really has been quite eye opening. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. We're going to put you on mute and we'll wrap up. And as always, we just want to thank all the live listeners. We see you down there, Charlie, Jason, Rich, uh, and there's someone else there, uh, Anonymous. So we really appreciate it. Uh, Just remember that if you like the show, please subscribe to it on Colin and give the episode a like with the heart icon once it's published. Um, And in fact, it's also um, streamed to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I believe you can subscribe there as well and even uh, give us a review. So please feel free to do that. You can always follow us on social media, of course. We're always at Too Bad Tourists. And lastly, please feel free to leave a comment uh, about what you liked about the show or potentially what you might want to hear more of. 
And next week, we'll be back with uh, Robbie Roth. He is a gay travel TV host. He's been to 34 countries and counting. He's also a Broadway actor. Um, he has multiple uh, YouTube series, Robbie Around the World, Robbie's Road to Pride, the Cation Travel Show on YouTube. You can check him out. So he's going to join us next week. We're super excited to have him, his energy, his smile. He's are very infectious. So it'll be a fun conversation to have with him. So we'll be back next Tuesday. Awesome. So we will speak to everyone next week. Thank you. Uh, feel better, Austin. Thank you. Bye, everyone. See you. Bye.